after midnight. We're going to let it all part out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, wonderful, valued listeners to this week's installment of Dead and Lovely, your favorite horror movie review podcast. Here with your super friend, super host, I'm Uncle Ben. And who's that, who's that man on the other end of that Skype call over there in the West Coast? Well, it's Sicko Steve. <laughs> Is that you today, Sicko Steve? No, that's terrible. That's like the worst thing they've S- had yet. Yeah, I uh, shithead's preferable. I yeah, <laughs> um, it's me, Steven Spratling, out here in beautiful Koreatown, Hollywood. Out there in them Hollywood <laughs> Hills. Now you know, I uh, I I kind of crooned at you there on the intro with a little bit of. After midnight, my little variation yeah. on the, the Eric Clapton song. But did you know yeah. the original lyrics to that song, Steve? Please tell me. After midnight, you can't feed gremlins no food. Oh my God! That, Thank you, Eric Clapton. Because yeah, if you do, it's not good. <laughs> it is not good. Because Stripe, he is not a nice guy. <laughs> and then you get gremlins too, and it doesn't make any sense. And it scares a six-year-old. Uncle Ben, who's sitting on the couch with chicken pox, and every time that commercial comes on oh. TV, he has to put down his, his uh, fudge ripple ice cream and tell mom <laughs> to turn it off. Oh, man. my uh, In my chicken pox experience, I stayed with my uh, aunt and uncle and my, my cousins because they had already had chicken pox. Yeah. And I played uh, NES games. I played Deja Vu. I don't know if you ever played Holy that. Holy shit, I remember Deja Vu. Game. Yeah. Uh-huh, and I played Shadowgate. Shadowgate. <laughs> that's what I did. It had like a gargoyle yeah. on the front, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Oh, uh, that's what I did for a week, and it was amazing. I just remember eating a lot of ice cream and just laying around watching TV. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Not my not my worst hour. So it is <laughs> unfortunate that we are bringing to you guys a very special unexpected episode of dead and lovely uh originally scheduled for this week's episode uh we were supposed to be covering ty west fantastic house of the devil but we have delayed that to honor a fallen hero one george romero who just passed away the other day we got in our time machine as we we sometimes do we tend to and yeah we we went back into the time before house of the devil was recorded which it's already been recorded and uh, after House of the Devil was uh, uh, was supposed to come out. So uh, we're traveling through time the As way we normally do. We're kind of known for doing that on this show. Um, not the first time. Probably won't be the last. No, probably not. So, um, yeah, George Romero died. And that's a, it's a, not a huge surprise considering his age and whatnot but it, it it is a surprise to me because I, he had um a new of the dead movie coming out in 2018 and like uh you know it wasn't it wasn't something that was fully expected yeah yeah you're right though the guy you know he lived a long full life and yeah. it's absolutely undeniable that he didn't just change the face of horror movies he changed the world because what he brought to us was the popularization and just generally the the entire um, I guess you could say basis of zombie lore that we have seen explored yeah. in innumerable movies and TV shows yeah. and comic books and novels and, and everything 
it really is all thanks to this one singular figure who brought us that stuff here with his 1968 debut film, Night of the Living Dead, which is what we're going to be talking about later on today. So we're here, we're here just kind of in an unexpected episode to uh, pay tribute and celebrate the life of somebody who, like I said, really did change the world forever. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of George Romero, and I actually have a, a a bit of a story about how uh, George Romero and Night of the Living Dead changed uh, my life. You gonna spin me a yarn there, Steve? <laughs> yeah, I am. This is um, this is pretty interesting. I uh, my first year of grad school, I was uh, still Mormon. I was doing the Mormon <laughs> thing, being a good old uh, Mormon kiddo. Steve, how much coffee and tea were you drinking in those days? Zero. I was drinking zero of those things. <laughs> um, but I was trying to collect all the wives. How many spirit children do you think you amassed in that time period? Oh, man. The number of spirit children? Innumerable. Planets full. My own planets full of spirit children. Um, so... My wife and I, though, uh, we uh, were moving toward not going to church. We both, we hadn't talked about it, but we both didn't really believe in uh, Mormonism anymore. And we wanted to stop going to church. But as Mormons, if you get married and you get married in the temple, the expectation is like, you know, you're always going to go to church and uh, be good Mormons together. Mm -hmm. And so we both were thinking, if I tell the other person that I don't want to go to church anymore, uh, it'll that'll be the end of it. Like, our marriage will be over. What an absolutely wonderful fortune it was, though, that I guess you guys are both thinking the same thing at the same time. Because that's the kind yeah. of thing that could easily, easily derail any new marriage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and we, we hadn't been married that long. So... This was, um, uh, we, we did eventually have that conversation and it was so amazing. And we both were just like, oh, thank God. We, thank God. We both, we both, <laughs> thank God we don't both, we both don't believe in God. Um, and then did you go out for, for a coffee and a beer? Um, we did, I think we did drink that night. Yeah. And my wife, uh, my wife who still does not like most alcohols. Uh, she, we, I got her the lightest cider I could find and she, she couldn't even swallow it. She it went heart. into her mouth and it, it, she just spit it out and she was like, that's disgusting. Aww. Anyway. Um, so, but the, you know, leading up to this, I, I had a, um, I had to plan a class, uh, for my second year of grad school to, um, uh, teach kids about research and how to research and, and use research in your writing. Mm -hmm. um, and so a uh, cool thing about the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, they're, what they let you do with those classes is they let you come up with your own inquiry topic. That's cool. And yeah. And I, at the time I, I was brainstorming. I had maybe 10 to 15 topics I was thinking of. Mm -hmm. And around that time, I watched Night of the Living Dead. Not for and the first time, I assume. No, it was not for the first time, but it was for the first time since I was a very small child, and I didn't really remember it at all, and it blew me away. Yeah. It just, 
it it blew me away and and this was at a time because i was mormon uh we didn't watch r-rated movies True. And this was an unrated movie, one of the last unrated movies to come right. out before the MPAA started, right? Yeah, and I also had just sort of moved away from horror movies because I was trying to be a good Christian and be happy all the time. I'll look at you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so watching Night of the Living Dead, it got me back into horror movies, something I had loved for most of my life. Yeah. And it also led me to then decide well what i want to do is teach a class on the undead that's rad i yeah my first my first year of grad school i had already started studying monsters and monstrosity and like what it means to be uh monstrous and so the undead was like just this natural fit for me yeah where I, I was able to talk about what I was already researching and then also talk about something I really love. That's awesome. And yeah, and so in in that bit of research, I watched, um, you know, Night of the Living Dead a number of times, Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead a number of times. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered is that George Romero came up with ideas and concepts that are still not being fully understood mm. in all of the zombie movies and zombie tv shows that we we have right now yeah yeah there, there's still a lot to pull from the original stuff yeah let alone land of the dead which just takes it to a whole different level i actually don't think i've seen land of the dead i it's it's worth checking out and it really changes it really builds off of what happens in day of the dead with bub Okay, right, which I love. Yeah. So, George Romero uh, basically led me down the path that led me to move to Los Angeles and pursue writing as a career. That's rad, all because of this kind of journey that you took while teaching this class. Yeah, yeah, it's, it really it opened my eyes to a lot of things and really made me understand that... Uh, the the thing the one thing no matter what no matter if um you're a science person a logic person if you're a religious person a spiritual person no matter what the one unknown is death sure even if you are absolutely certain of what will happen after death like in your heart you have that knowledge the truth of it is unknowable yeah and and so the idea that something could die and then come back frightens us because what it does is it embodies that that unknowable and it creates this hideous creature that looks like us but isn't us right and uh, the I think the perfect way to think about it is if you've ever gone to visit someone who is near the point of death, you feel uncomfortable because they are alive, but they look dead. Right. And they know that their 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 time is coming. Right. If you've ever been to an open casket funeral, you know that you feel uncomfortable because they <laughs> are dead, but they look alive. 
Uh, and I'll tell you too, on that subject, man, that's the first time that that zombies really truly, you know, the notion of zombies really became truly frightening to me yeah. in real life. Because like before, you know, of course I'd seen, you know, movies and stuff like this and seen zombies and it's like, whatever, the living dead, they eat your brains, like... It didn't. It never really scared me. I mean, the same way that some people are terrified of clowns, and I'm not. Like, it just never really did yeah. anything for me. But I vividly remember one of the first like open casket funerals that I remember. I mean, I'm sure I'd been to funerals when I was a little little kid, but just didn't think about it, you know. Yeah. But one of the first ones I went to as a uh, you know, I guess fully conscious human being. I remember just standing there because here, here's the thing for y'all listeners: open casket funerals are like the most common thing in the South. It's so normal to go and see a corpse at a funeral here, which I think is morbid and fucking strange. Um, It is odd. Yeah, it is. But I remember vividly, like, standing there, um, you know, to talk to the family or whatever next to this open casket and seeing this corpse. And it's like like my blood ran cold because it finally hit me. I'm like, what if this person just sat up and looked me in the eyes? Yeah, that's when it really became fucking real to me is because I'm in this understanding that death is a state of permanence and this is is (laughs) just a shell now. Yeah. And then the notion of, oh, my God, it's not permanent. And sometimes you can come back. It really (laughs) like I had to like take a few steps back. I was like getting weirded out really hard. So it's funny you mentioned the open casket thing, because that's definitely when it became real to me. Yeah. The the thing is that just. A, a little bit of background a, a monster is something that exists in between definitions mm-hmm. meaning um say for instance good and bad mm-hmm. a monster is something that exists between good and bad it's something unfathomable like it's something where you you realize that someone can be bad and do good or be good and do bad are you like, talking about cersei lannister cersei yeah because cersei i hate her guts but when she killed all them people in the church i was it like was so you go, fucking girl. awesome you go girl it was so awesome oh my yeah. god yes fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> so kind of like that. yeah yeah exactly it, it a monster is 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 something that is hard to fathom and so like we get situations that we can understand uh, from from common everyday situations in the modern political environment, mm-hmm. and that is say, uh, someone who exists between male and female. Sure, this freaks people the fuck out. Like yeah. so many people cannot fathom it. It is monstrous to them. It is scary. It's it literally scares. Like sure. in their heart, their heart will race. They feel fear. Like, it's the same when it comes to race, uh, things like that. All of these things that are a construct that yeah. aren't that aren't real, um, in between them, in between black and white is always this monstrous thing. And so the undead, something that is both living and dead, is is the perfect monster because death is the thing we cannot know and... <laughs> So the in-between living and dead is always the biggest fear we can have. Well, that's a great point that you have there too, Steve, because really so many things in life and in culture are kind of like what you're implying here, binary. 
you're male yeah. or you're female. Uh, you're Republican or you're a Democrat, you know? Right. Um, you're alive or you're dead. And it's very, uh-huh. it's, it's very easy for the human mind whenever you can, you know, sort anything into one of two boxes. It's either this or it's that. If it's not that, it's this. Yeah. It's so easy for us to digest whenever that's going on. But whenever you don't know what box to put something in is when the brain tends to just kind of shut down and, and freak out. And, you, and you're, you're totally right. That, that is very much the, the thing with zombies. I thought it was dead, but it's alive. I don't know what box to put this in. Yeah. I mean, like, I think we've all been exposed to the concept so much now that, like, we it would still be, it would rock your world. It would devastate you. But at the same time, if you know enough zombie stuff, you'd be a little bit more prepared. You'd be a little bit more ready for that to happen. And, and that's exactly, like, that's what one of my main theories as to why people love horror is that, it allows you to experience that anxiety in a safe environment so that because you really do have the anxiety, you feel that maybe if you're in that actual situation in the future, you'll know what to do. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh, I saw this in a movie once. Yeah. So like it, it makes you feel unsafe and safe at the same time. That's what horror does. Yeah. It makes you feel unsafe while also making you feel like you're preparing yourself. And, um, and that's that is the poetic nature then of the undead is that what it makes you confront is your fear of death and it makes you uh, experience the anxiety of okay so what would happen then if if i if someone came back yeah what would like, they what, know what would what would they know and what we tend to find out is that uh, whatever they know causes them to just consume. I mean, m- most undead are consumers, revenants, uh, ghouls, vampires, zombies. Not typically the plotting and scheming type. No, yeah, they're just coming back to consume. They want life. And, and so that that's what we learn about ourselves when we, we, we go through this fear of the undead. What we learn about ourselves is that we want life we don't want to die because we know that if we come back that that, like if if we could we'd come back if we could we'd come back and try to suck the marrow out of life yeah so like it's ultimately uplifting like despite how bleak uh zombie things can get it's ultimately uplifting because what it's saying to us is that like you know suck the marrow out of life like really enjoy it because like you may never have this opportunity to be happy again now what we're talking about here a lot is the way that romero um made zombies a part of mainstream culture and ideology and stuff but yeah the history of the zombie goes back to to early like haitian and voodoo origins yeah, zom- zombie as a concept. Yeah, the 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 Haitian zombie is is um, it's more like a, a, kinda, a drugged out slave of sorts. Yeah, really. yeah, it is someone who goes into the grave and comes out, but doesn't actually die. It is a perceived death. So the fear with the Haitian zombie is just the fear that you would experience as a family member seeing your what you thought dead relative come back to life 
but but in fact they never did die right they just lost control of themselves more or less yeah and what romero was working off of was actually richard matheson's novel i am legend which um is like what if you were to read richard matheson's i am legend you would immediately be like oh i get where the idea of like a full-on zombie apocalypse comes from but in i am legend they're vampires see that's what i was going to ask you is if you knew where romero got the inspiration to work mm -hmm. in the yeah. in the zombie um genre because that's something i wasn't really sure about yeah okay so yeah what the idea basically was is that um i am legend which the idea is that robert neville he you're is, talking about the uh, will smith movie right what? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sort of. So Romero um, saw the Will Smith movie and was like, "Oh, yeah." I he get went. It. Well, he. I let him use our time machine. Okay. Like, oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Um. So, Robert Neville. He he's a scientist. He gets bitten by a fruit bat that has this virus that makes him sick, but then he recovers. But then a, a lot of other people get this virus that turns them into basically mindless zombies. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, also, some of them are not mindless. Mm -hmm. And the story basically takes place in a world where he's the last person who doesn't have this virus. Everybody wow. else does. Yeah. And the, the ultimate end moral of this is that in a world where everyone has this virus, he's the monster. That's kind of like some of the tones of In the Mouth of Madness. Yes, and yeah, in the, in the Mouth of Madness was building off of this idea. I'm, I'm positive of yeah, that. Yeah. Um, Omega Man was an adaptation of I Am Legend with Vincent Price that came out in like '62 maybe or '64. Mm -hmm. It 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 pretty much followed the the novel, and George Romero wanted to make something. He liked the idea of this apocalypse. But he wanted to make something that showed the beginning of it. Like, he didn't want to see the part where there's only one human left. Yeah. He wanted to see the humans, like, what led up to the extinction. And so the idea then uh, became, like, it would be the beginning of this sort of thing that is raising the dead and causing people who die to then become these walking dead. And they didn't want to do vampires because it it wouldn't have the same effect as I Am Legend had with so many infected. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to still have that feeling of there being so many that it's it's frightening. Uh, and the vampire thing just it slows it down where you have to bite each person on the neck and then they turn. Yeah. Or you know so like he wanted it to just be quicker. Right. And so this is this is what we get then is these just simple walking dead, just people that are painted up to look a little bit dead and walking. Now, what he establishes in here, one zombie is never used in this at all. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that nobody ever once in this movie yeah. says zombie. They say ghoul, they call them them mm. or it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So zombie is not a, a part of this at at this point 
the main character in this, Ben, is played by uh, Dwayne Jones, who mm-hmm. is black. Now, the character wasn't written as black, but they picked the the best actor. Yeah, he was just the best guy for the job. Yeah, and then they didn't change the character to reflect that he's black. Right, yeah. Which is why this movie displays an amazing example of a strong black male character in the late 60s. Oh my god, yeah. Because up to then, it's like this is really one of the first movies to feature a main character who's a black actor. That's not in an exploitive kind of way. Yeah. There are a million points where they could have thrown the N-word in here. Oh, God, yeah. And you could feel, especially with the um, the guy in the house that kind of argues with him and stuff, like, there's Harry. a few times where I was just yeah. kind of like, is he going to say it? And he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so a little lesson out there to people in Hollywood who are still struggling for some reason to write for uh, <laughs> actors of uh, other backgrounds. Guys, just write a character and <laughs> seek out the best actor yeah and really. find find a good black actor a good indian actor a good middle eastern actor find someone who can bring something different to the role what because what that does immediately with ben and harry is there's an immediate tension like mm-hmm. we don't even have harry doesn't have to say anything he's an old white man and we're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know what he's thinking. Yeah, and so he's being an asshole to him. And it's like, oh, obviously he's being an asshole to him. Yeah. Uh, and and so, like, the casting of an actor who is minority or uh, of uh, some different ethnicity than white, uh, it, what it does is it, it can add to the discussion about race without having to outright discuss it. Yeah, it's very true, man, because it's kind of like you said, whether they meant to make a racial statement or not, which George Romero yeah. maintains, they did not mean to make any kind of a racial statement yep. by having a black actor play this. Um, Just pick the best guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, whether they whether they intended to make a racial statement by casting a black, black actor or not, it becomes one because when you look at the time period yeah. that this was set in, I mean, this wasn't long after – like all the riots in Michigan and all that stuff that went on that destroyed thousands of buildings and thousands of people were arrested and all this stuff. And then I was watching an interview with Romero last night where he said after they got the final print of the film back, right? Yeah. They put it in the back of the car and they started driving towards New York to start shopping it around. And as they're driving on the radio, they hear the news that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Yeah, and that change that changes the meaning of the ending. Absolutely like, so. It's yeah. it's incredible, and it's like again whether they yeah. wanted to or not, they did. Night of the Living Dead has a an open view on the idea that we are monsters for the things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, most I I would guess if if we have any Trump fan listeners <laughs> would just say that is a a, a cuck viewpoint. <laughs> Um, but you know, fuck you. And we're fine. If you stop listening, like it'll be okay. Um, uh, so by being open with the idea that maybe we as humans are monsters and the things we've done are wrong in the way we live as, as consumers, as, as 
a, a herd as people who just follow what everyone else does maybe what that is leading to is the destruction of humanity and by also having uh by the way i mean uh, uh four female actors four main female actresses and and four males like mm, yeah yeah uh only one black guy sure like they maybe could have tossed a black woman in there but like i don't know how they would have made that make sense it, whatever yeah but uh it is a balanced cast um it's a good point yeah it is it, it's like fucking 50 years ago almost yeah it, it, what it does is it it sets up the world we now understand say if you're a fan of the walking dead or whatever where you see that uh women have this absolute intrinsic value that can be shown easily in a situation like this where it's life or death now this movie doesn't do that well um we we see barbara who is absolutely hysterical mm -hmm. um we have let's see helen is the uh wife of the guy who's a dick yeah <laughs> harry uh, and yeah and she she seems she seems pretty strong she seems like actually i think a good representation maybe of the feminist movement at the time this bitterness with the way her husband has been treating her and this like disdain of his inability now to protect her in this situation like because he he's obviously just out like he does he's t he's so like anxious and like uh he's hysterical himself mm -hmm. and, and she's the one who's cool-headed and level-headed like so sure, i think yeah. there is i think there is a positive female uh role in here and then judy who <laughs> i mean i i can't say that judy is poorly written i think people would say that judy is not a feminist icon and they'd be right but I don't think she's poorly written. I kind of feel like my wife would react similarly if I were like, hey, I'm going to go out there and maybe die. She'd be like, well, I'm going with you. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, I think Judy's uh, Judy's fine. And then, of course, we have Karen, the little girl who uh, eats her father and kills her mother. I think she's pretty hardcore. I think she's pretty fucking badass. Yeah. So th this movie shows some different perspectives and it also shows what i think would is an important perspective in 1968 is that um what's the uh the name of the other kid oh man I, you know i don't think tom. i ever caught his tom name. tom okay his name is tom okay so tom just works with ben and again if this isn't a black actor that means nothing but sure. because it's a black actor, Tom Tom's not like, oh, I'm not listening to this guy. Like, oh, we, he should drink from a separate fountain. He's just like, oh, yeah, he knows what he's doing. This is life or death. I don't care. Like, I just want to live. Well, and the thing is, too, is, you know, when you look at, um, damn it, who's the shitty guy? Harry, is that right? Harry, yeah. And his, you know, the way that he just does not want to work and cooperate with Ben, and he's of the older generation, and then you've got Tom, who's a generation younger, and is like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm on board. I'll work with you and stuff. I think that that yeah. definitely makes a statement too. Which, again, whether they intended it to or not, what can you do? That's how it turned out. There's, there's also one other scene that is made more intense by the fact that Dwayne Jones is black, 
That is when he he punches Barbara. <laughs> he does do that. Yeah, there's no there's no way that did not outrage people in the audience. More so than it would have if it was a white guy punching her. Yeah, if it was a white guy, they'd be like, "Well, she was hysterical." That's I'd say that's an extremely valid point, and I was gonna say yeah. for that time, but for this time too. Yeah, because people uh, but, are still yeah. shitty. People are still shitty. Yeah. 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 You know what, Ben? I um, I I lamented to my wife the other day. Remember the good old de- good old days when everybody believed the world was round. <laughs> there for a brief moment that existed. It's true. Yeah, it's for true. just a brief moment in time, we had that. It was nice. It, it's very possible that flat earthers are the new zombies. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. So we we will eventually, like, fight a battle, I guess. (laughs) It's okay. We'll just run to the other side of the world, and they won't be able to find us. Yeah, and they'll never make it. (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. These fucking... I have found out that two, not just one, but two people that I know are flatters, dude. It's just unfucking believable two of them i know two people that legitimately <laughs> so believe mitchell shit. true blood and kate Pettit. that's correct my best friend yep. and my wife yes yep. <laughs> you know i'll so, tell you yeah. one thing i was thinking about earlier too steve is like really you know again for for george romero having lived um a, a long life such as he did and getting to see you know the way his creation in the form of the of the modern popular zombie the way that that has spread and infiltrated pop culture to the degree it has it has to be an incredible thing and it's one of those things that i could only compare to you know like let's say another another iconic figure that passed away recently like imagine being chuck berry and like uh-huh. in- inventing rock and roll right yeah and then seeing your idea be picked up by other people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, white people specifically, who acted like they yeah. invented it and get all the credit for uh-huh. it. And then right. it be shocking and controversial, and then it become rebellious, and then it become the norm. And then it almost becoming so normal that it's boring, that it's something that families can participate in and go to, like, you know, uh, rock concerts and stuff like this. That's... That's something that Chuck Berry went through. Also, he pissed in the faces of some people. He did. <laughs> now, let, let's also remember, though, that um, Steven Spielberg, no, wait, Robert Zemeckis taught us that actually a white man invented rock and roll. Oh, yeah. That's it was right. Marty McFly. <laughs> remember how that's like a big, like, they were like, you know, let's, that kind let's of make sure. Let's make sure to make everyone know that actually a white man invented rock and roll by going back in time. Is is Back to the Future actually like one of the more racist movies ever made? uh, Do you remember the character of Goldie Wilson? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fucking racist. But, you know, it's like it has to be amazing to have been George Romero. And it's so cool, too, you know, for him to have to have lived and seen this little thing that he created this Night of the Living Dead and then that spread off to so many other copycats and then that spread to more copycats and that become an underground thing you know and then that become I mean dude I know whole families 
that sit down every week and watch The Walking Dead, which is a zombie yeah. TV show on main on mainstream television. That dude is bleak and brutal and, and yeah, gory and as fuck. Gross. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing that it's it's become so mainstream, and it's almost normal. It's almost boring. It's really crazy. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying, though? It's like, you know, Blackbeard the Pirate didn't live to see Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> he didn't, did he? As far as I know. Didn't they just recently discover the uh, Blackbeard's, uh, the, the wreck of Blackbeard's ship off of the coast of North Carolina? Yeah, that's correct. That's true. What if while unearthing all that, though, they bring back Blackbeard? Like, he comes back... As a zombie, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, exacts his original plan of seeing the Pirates of the Caribbean at Disney World. I bet that he watches the movie and is like, Arr, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> fake news, sad. But, you know, really, it just has to be, it has to be amazing to have been George Romero and have lived long enough to see his creation very much like, you know, what happened in the original you know, stories that he was writing, take over the world. Yeah, it really did. And he also gave us, uh, I mean, Tom Savini would have had a career without him, but he he pretty much helped us to have Tom Savini. Which is one of the better uh, things in life. God bless motherfucking Tom Savini. Yeah, he he. I read that he was originally supposed to do the special effects for... Nightmare or uh, Night of the Living Dead, but he was drafted into the Vietnam War. Yeah, which is is something he cites as as helping him in his pursuit of of creating these really great gory effects. But also, I imagine something he might have preferred not to do. I would <laughs> I would surely hope so. But yeah, I've heard him say that that he worked there as a a war photographer and stuff, and just basically saw. So much yeah. gore in real life that he could go back to a film set and say, no, it wouldn't look like that if somebody got shot in the head, which yeah, is uh, seen that. profoundly fucked up. But God bless him for doing it, man, because that is the father of fucking horror special effects. Yeah, and he, he worked with Romero a lot. They worked together on Martin, on Dawn of the Dead, Creep Show, Day of the Dead, Creep Show 2, and Monkey Shines. Wow. Basically, any horror movie... That you've seen pre-CGI era, it's motherfucking yeah. Tom Savini or a student of Tom Savini's. Of Tom Savini, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even, um, what's his name, Greg Nicotero that does uh, a lot of the mm -hmm. zombie effects on The Walking Dead. That's just a student yeah. of Savini's. Yeah. So, I mean, thank God for Tom Savini. <laughs> that, that means George Romero not only gave us The Walking Dead in the sense of... of uh, creating the entire idea but greg nicotero does the special effects on the walking dead so again <laughs> he inadvertently gave us the entire look of the show now through the history of of zombies in film and tv we've been given all kinds of different iterations we've got the the shuffling slow you know early zombies we've had the the blue-faced um, yeah, you know, Day of the Dead, Dawn Day of, of the, the Dead. Dead. Yeah, exactly. Then we've also had kind of the sprinting 28-day uh, later kind of zombie. But, Steve, a, a burning question I am just dying to know about. 
Uh, let's hear it. What is it? What kind of zombie will you be? Ben, there's only one place to turn to find out what kind of zombie you will be. That is, of course, BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed? The masters of knowledge. Oh, man. They tell us everything that's going to happen and everything that we need to know. Speaking of BuzzFeed, I had to... I, this is the first note I have about Night of the Living Dead, is that Johnny looks like Keith from the Try Guys. <laughs> <laughs> he totally does. He, he totally does. Him and his damn anyway. driving gloves. Yeah, oh my god. Is it not weird? If somebody's not wearing an overcoat and they're wearing gloves, it's like, oh, well, you're going to strangle someone, right? Yeah, them, they're strangling gloves at that point. Yeah, if you got the overcoat, yeah. it's like, oh, you're going for a drive, huh? Well, let me go let me go ahead and go on BuzzFeed right now and find this quiz titled What Kind of Zombie Will You Be by Matthew Perpetua. That way our, our audience can take this quiz with yeah. us if they would like. So what are my choices for an appealing lunch there, Steve? I'll be sure to post this on our Twitter as I have in the past so you can also get an answer that will disappoint. That's a strong um, idea. Yeah. Um, would you prefer to have a burrito? Mm. Some ramen, oh, salad, mm. pizza, mm. a burger, mm. falafel, mm. Mm. a delicious sushi sandwich. Oh, I love a sushi sandwich. Avocado toast or chicken nuggets, and the picture is for, they look like McDonald's chicken nuggets. It so. looks like something you scooped up from a litter box, I guess. Yeah, yeah, roughly. You know, what would you pick there? This is this is kind of a tough choice for me right now because I am actually of the hungry kind of persuasion right now. Oh yeah. But for a good old lunch, gosh, that's hard to for me the choice right now is between falafel and sushi because lately uh-huh. and by lately I mean for the past like maybe year or two we've been eating at this place in Knoxville, Tennessee called Yasin's Falafel House, which is pro- where's that at, dude? It's right downtown near the Market Square area. Um, okay, I'm an amazing story, dude. Google it. Like the the founder of Twitter and Square did a short movie about the guy and stuff. He's a yeah. a Syrian refugee who came here and started a restaurant, and it's awesome. all authentic Syrian like falafel and shawarma. Uh, his hummus is the best I've ever had in the world. I'm convincing myself to choose falafel right now because Yasin's Falafel House is the fucking best restaurant in Knoxville. God, it's so good. What are you gonna choose? Next time I'm in Knox Vegas, we will have to go there. Oh my God! Um, yes. Well, I um I get on these kicks. I I really try to perfect recipes and things. Me too. And I for about two months was working on my ramen broth, and now I've been working on my ramen eggs. Uh, so really? I would say ramen. Yeah. You gotta give me a secret I, to that ramen broth. Ramen broth, uh, it'll require an Asian uh, market. I'm sure there is one in, uh, yeah, there is one definitely in in Knoxville. I've been there. Sunrise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, ramen broth, awesome. And a a ramen egg, man, there is no, there's no, I've become obsessed with eggs recently. I enjoy an (laughs) egg from my head down to my legs, Steve. I actually had not had a deviled egg until recently. Oh, I'd really? Always, yeah, because when I was little, I this is just tangent. When I was little, anything yellow disgusted me. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like macaroni and cheese. I didn't like most cheeses. Um, I and I, I didn't like uh, 
egg yolks or eggs. Oh, I eventually got to eating scrambled eggs, but now like I'm obsessed with eggs. Like I, I, I've learned how to make a perfect egg over easy. Shit, I've yeah. learned how to make some perfect soft boiled eggs. And uh, if I, once I get to the ramen egg, I'll be a very happy man. I'm waiting for, you know, from the island of Dr. Moreau, somebody just to create chickens that just lay eggs that are just yolks. Just a big yolk. (laughs) Just a big yolk egg. Yeah. Like, I just want to heat it very slightly, and then I'm done. Uh Uh-huh. Just to eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. The the yolk is, uh, well, that's really dumb. I was going to say it's nature's butter, but butter comes from nature, too, so... It's chicken butter. <laughs> yolk is chicken the butter. Yolk is chicken butter. Yeah. Delicious chicken butter. <laughs> now, the next question here is extremely less relevant, Steve. Please yeah, select. Yeah, it would seem so. Yeah, please select a vaping man. Now, we have a couple yeah. of choices here. We have Mike, who seems to be a Who's suave. wearing a fedora. Yeah, but it's all cocked off sideways. He seems like a dick. Yeah. Lewis, who maybe looks like he is... Um, Probably a gamer of sorts. He has a goatee. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's he's gonna go back in and play some League of Legends. Absolutely. We got Bryce, who kind of looks like Ross Trent. Yeah, he he looks exactly like Ross Trent. We have Hank, who looks like he is looking at you disapprovingly for doing something that was created post 1954. Yeah, he he looks like his grandkids got this for him to stop smoking. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. We got Todd, who looks like a hipster piece of shit in a velvet jacket. Todd is wearing a trilby and has a curly mustache. So, you know, Todd is a full-on nice guy. (laughs) And we also have Kyle, who seems to be slightly metrosexual. uh, He looks like James Franco, kind of. He's he's definitely looking pretty Franco'd out. It's very, very true. Who, Who is your guy here? Well, my assumption here is that this is the person that if you were an undead creature, you would actually want to kill and eat. Oh. Um, and so when I look at these people, I want to kill and eat Todd. Same. That is definitely the guy. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy that I'm taking down because he seems like he will probably benefit society the least. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that he has sent a girl a message on Tinder that said, hello, my lady, would you like to send me some nude pictures? And then she said no, and he said, you're a fucking cunt. <laughs> and then <laughs> looks like went, off on a, went off on a 15-text rant about how she's the worst person to ever exists. So, Steve, I'll tell you what. If you were a zombie and I wasn't, yeah. I'd, I'd catch that guy and feed him to you. Oh, thanks. I would Wow. What's our next question, Steve? Which celebrity do you think is most likely to be a robot made of plastic, metal, and wires? Oh, okay. I already have my choice because it was immediate in my head. I already knew my answer. I hope it's the same as mine. Let's go through these. Uh, We have Pharrell. He does seem to not age. He does seem to be an undead of some sort. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, And I, I would, you know, I'd accept it if he was. If he came out as like a robot. I'd be like, yeah, okay. He makes a good beat. I'm on board. Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. who played a robot in the Stepford Wives, didn't she? Extremely um, true. Tom Hiddleston. Okay. That's a Loki. Uh, Selena Gomez. I don't. I don't think robots have lupus. Doesn't she have lupus? Does she really? I think so. I didn't I'm know not that. positive on that. 
then we have Steve Buscemi or Buscemi. As I don't know, I don't know how that's pronounced. Steve uh, Buscemi, one of the, Buscemi. the handsomest men alive, also known as Donnie. He's out of his element. We have Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have Ryan Seacrest, who mm-hmm. also seems to not age. Yeah. We have Janelle Janelle Monet. I don't know who that who is. Who was recently in that? Oh, uh, she's a uh, she's an artist who was recently in the that NASA movie about the three African American women who worked for NASA. Had Kevin Costner. I can't remember the name. Hmm. I'm gonna say it was called Rocket Girls. I know it wasn't, but uh, or Jacob Sartorius. Now, Ben, who would you pick here? I, Nicole Kidman all day. She is clearly oh. emotionless and unfeeling. Okay, I accept that. My immediate response without seeing any of the answers was Taylor Swift because she is a fucking robot. <laughs> She's going to shake it off after her circuit boards are fried. Yeah, yeah, yes. She's got bad blood in the sense that it's motor oil. I, I, there's something about Nicole Kidman, though, that to me just seems so so frigid and emotionless. I don't know why. Maybe it's a role yeah, she's played she in movies. Yeah, she plays or, that really well. Or maybe it's at this point, she's she has had a considerable amount of plastic surgery, and she is looking very oh, strange. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, if you look at The Others or Eyes Wide Shut, she plays that really well, and that was, I would say, before plastic surgery. The Others is fucking awesome, by the way. Yeah. I really do love that movie. See also Practical Magic, best witch movie of all time. <laughs> what do we got next, Ben? Next, we have an <laughs> another very confusing question, and I'm gonna go with this is also a an edible. Let's uh, feast on their yeah, flesh question. Yeah, which yeah. Now select a yogurt woman. This is just <laughs> a, bu- a bunch of women eating yogurt. This is very strange. We have. Ashley, who's blonde and just seems to be laying on her bed enjoying herself a spoonful of yog. Uh, we have Erica, who is a black woman enjoying uh, like a yo play cup, being like, "Wow, check this out." Uh huh. We've got Angela, who is in a red dress. She got all dressed up to enjoy herself a spoonful. <laughs> Of yog, and uh, she seems to be looking <laughs> into the distance, thinking about, "Wow, shouldn't I be doing something better with my life?" <laughs> or maybe she's thinking, "Oh, later, I will pass this so well. I'm just renting this yogurt <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of everything I ate in the last few days. <laughs> just rental, total rental." Yeah. We have Rachel, who finds herself to be a unique and free spirit because. She has a streak of blue in her hair as she eats her yog from a cup. Way to go, Rach. She's like, nobody's ever done this before. Blue streak. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Cheryl, who seems to be giving us this really sassy... uh, her, Her eyes are staring through my soul, Steve. I also feel like Cheryl could be on a real Housewives of some sort. Maybe. And we have Anna... She's got herself. She's decided to dress up her fancy bowl uh-huh. of yog with perhaps a berry of some sort. And she's like, I chose really fucking wisely. I did the right thing here. Yeah, she does have that smug look on her face. Now, I'm, again, uh, uh, with <laughs> with the vaping dudes, I went with the guy I disliked the most. 
now here i guess i would just go with the woman i think is the cutest and i'm gonna say rachel you gotta go after that rachel all right well I am going to destroy Cheryl because those dead eyes have no place in this world. <laughs> That's true. What if you started eating her and you realized she was also a zombie? Oh, man. What if she's like staring at me like, thank you? I'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. You wanted to be eaten? Uh, all right. Now we're being asked to choose a white powder. All right. Now, Ben, these are some pretty basic white powders. We have flour. We have baking soda. We have dry shampoo. We have cocaine. We have cornstarch. And we have confectioner's sugar. I was really hoping that one of the choices here would be powder from the movie Powder. And he brought oh, a deer back yeah, to life. Oh, yeah. The movie uh, that was written by that uh, that pedophile. Oh, was it really? Yeah. 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 Also, he also wrote Funhouse. Oh, yeah, Which you're is right. A horror movie. Yeah, yeah, you did, didn't you? We'll have to we'll have to do that sometime to talk about that Funhouse is a silly movie. Yeah, so what would you pick, Ben? You know, of these choices right here, I, I have become recently extremely impressed by dry shampoo. Cocaine. I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I thought that's what you were going for. Okay, dry shampoo. Yeah, all right. I've got the long hair, and it's always a total mm -hmm. pain in the ass to, uh, to wash and maintain all this garbage, especially if I'm like... It's late at night. I want to make a video, and I'm like, oh, but my hair looks all greasy and stuff because I've not washed it in like two days. That's where dry shampoo and I get along really fucking great because that stuff is is awesome. Just a little little spritz of that stuff, comb it through, and I am ready for fame. I'm ready for my close-up director. <laughs> now, I guess, I mean, listen, if I'm going to be dead, I'm just going to pick cocaine, like. Why not party? Why not? I'm dead. I mean, maybe that's going to help you shuffle a little faster and become like a 28 Days Later zombie. <laughs> that's what I was hoping for. I'm hoping that the cocaine will lead me to more brains. I want a scene in a movie where you have like a slow shuffling Romero zombie and then it like eats Rick James and then it just becomes a full on sprinter. <laughs> <laughs> And it just slaps everyone before it eats them. <laughs> um, all right, now this is this is just getting wild, Ben. What is this? What's this next question? Which pairing of yogurt woman and vaping man would you want to see get together? Now, I'm just going to go with which couple do you want to kill the most? That's what I'm going with here. Okay, yeah, all right. I could care less about these people. So we've got Kyle, the metrosexual, oh, and Angela, the red dress yogurt person. Uh -huh. We've got your girl, Blue Streak Rachel, Rachel. with Gamer mm. Lewis. We've got Smug Fedora, Mike, and uh, Black Erica eating her yogurt cup. Stoner Bryce and Smug Ashley. Uh -huh. Oh, God, look at this fucking dream couple yeah. right here. Yeah. Uh -huh. Cheryl, the dead-eyed fucking wants-to-be-eaten lady, and Todd, the motherfucking uh -huh. oh, velvet jacket fucking hipster trash. Uh huh. Metrosexual Kyle with Black Erica. We've got old racist Hank and smug Ashley. And lastly, Selena, Selena Gomez standing Anna with her red berries and Gamer Lewis. I think this is an easy Game choice. What are you going for, Steve? Yeah. Well, G Gamer Lewis is in is in uh, two good couples here. You do I, well uh, from I don't. I don't think they noticed his goatee, but. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the easy answer here is Cheryl and Todd. 
Like, yeah, Cheryl and Todd deserve to die for what they've done. Yeah, they do. Come on, Cheryl. Come on, Todd. Ugh. Get it together. Ugh, the worst. Todd, listen, just shave and get a personality. Yeah, like, exactly. You don't have to have a, a curly Q mustache. I, I bet that that guy would talk endlessly, too, about how modified his fucking vape is. and. Yeah. Yeah, he'd have a lot to say about, like, the difference between uh 320 and 325 like the settings he, he he'd want you to know that if you want to get the full vape <laughs> oh, i'll tell you what that's just fucking that's just fucking annoying now I'll, I'll put it out there i just recently went online about this huge rant about how much i fucking hate being in places in public where people can smoke cigarettes um, yeah vaping much less fucking obnoxious it really is yeah Oh yeah, I actually um, I I I see these stereotypes of vaping, but I would prefer people to vape. But you know Absolutely. what I don't understand, man, is like okay, people that people that started smoking cigarettes, and then they realized, oh, this is a horrible choice. It's killing me and people around me. But yeah. I, but I have a habit. I have an addiction. I just need to replace it with something a little bit less harmful. I'll start vaping. Good on yeah. you. You're making a good choice in the right direction. But have you ever met somebody that just started vaping? No. What do you mean? I like have. They just... I have met people okay. who did who weren't previously smokers that just started vaping. What? Okay. So they were like, I I have always wanted to experience nicotine, which is, as far as I understand, as someone who has never smoked, uh, a drug that uh, is not a pleasant experience at first and then becomes pleasant because you're addicted to it. That is what it seems to me. I, I think that it's more like people who are like, well, I have too much money. I've always wanted to experience what it's like having less money. I guess I need something to buy all the time. It is. I mean, hey, listen, we all want to figure out how to spend all that excess money we have. Yeah. I know when my wife and I are like, oh, can we get chicken this month, or do we have to, do we have to just eat vegetarian? Uh, we're like, oh, how can I get rid of more money? Yep. Enter the vape. The vape. So annoying. All right, Ben. Finally, what would you say is the best of all the major sports? Yuck. Okay. Ben loves sports. I so don't. This will be a tough choice for you. There's, of course, basketball. I've heard of this. Then there's baseball. Mmm, baze. There's football. Um, there's soccer. Now, let me help some of our European listeners, which we do have uh, a good bit of. Um, Gutentag, y'all. Yeah, uh, soccer is a word we invented because we invented a different sport that we wanted to call football, despite <laughs> the fact that we hardly ever use our foot in it. Um, <laughs> so soccer is football. Sure. Uh, whereas we have football. Foosball. Or, or football. Mm -hmm. More often uh, than not. Then, of course, there's tennis. We got golf. We got hockey. Bowling. And, of course, the option, no, I refuse. I hate all sports. God. Okay, Steve, I'm going to confess to you something. That you, you love sports. Okay. And you don't care who knows. Here's the thing. My whole life, 
up until the age of 30. I'm now 33 years old. My whole life, up until the age of 30, there's two things whose appeal made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. One of them was football. Okay. The other one was the Eagles. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. After, I mean, true story, after turning 30 in the year 2014, both things suddenly made sense to me. I heard one of these nights on the radio. While watching a football game. Well, dude, it was like over the summer, I heard one of these nights. Uh huh. And I was like, God damn. Those vocal one of these harmonies crazy are dope. Nights. Oh yeah. man, the vocals are just incredible. Yeah. I watched that Eagles documentary that's like fucking you know eight years long. And suddenly <laughs> goodbye, I got black it. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on that year, you know, typically, typically during the fall season, there, my wife she likes to watch the UT uh-huh. football games. Yeah, yeah. And I typically go and do literally anything else while she watches them. So this right. uh, this one day, though, you know, here I am, 30 years old. She's watching the UT football, and I'm like, the power of football compels me. Yeah. And for some reason, I really fucking got into it, and I have watched a whole bunch of fall-time football games. It's like it suddenly makes sense. So usually I'll – yeah. I'll I'll shotgun Hotel California or get over it, and then I'll watch that foosball game. Get so. over it. <laughs> That's I I'm gonna go ahead and say that is a terrible song, and I hate it. It's the worst though. But dude, like yeah. everybody, our dad and our mom's age, like oh, basically yeah. every baby they boomer, love it. dude. Yeah. Yes, they think that is the most badass song of all time. Yeah, they're like, yeah, let's kill all the lawyers and let's do it tonight. <laughs> They all thought that was the baddest, dude. My buddy, my buddy Mitch, who we were just talking about earlier on the show, yeah. his his dad. Have you've never met Mitch's dad, have you? I have not. Okay, uh, I, he is very, very much like imagine, imagine like Chevy Chase and like Chris's Vacation, only way more highly strung. <laughs> okay, like way more high strung. <laughs> around <laughs> around like the, his like midlife sort of era like 45 50 you know um he bought like a Chrysler Sebring convertible the ultimate bad oh, no. dad convertible oh no <laughs> and Mitch has told me like he used to like drive around in that you know with the top down to Mitch in the back seat and he said sometimes get over it would come on the radio and he said his dad oh, would just no. like turn around and like just pump oh, it, just turn God. it up to fucking ten, and be like, oh. "This is the best." <laughs> it seems like a terrible scene in a late '80s movie. I mean, oh. it, it really, really does. So that's what I think of when I think of Get Over, and I think of Bad Brad just pumping that and that Sebring. <laughs> now, Ben, there's. I feel like there's no way we're going to get a different result because uh, football is my favorite sport. It, um, I, um, I've been a huge college football fan. I, I can trace it back to a very specific moment. It was the uh, 1993 Sun Bowl between the University of Texas and the University of North Carolina that cemented my love for college football and I don't even think that was a great game it was just a game that I watched the whole way through and I had played football 
up to that point and I knew football and I had watched, you know, some games, but mm-hmm. that was the point where I was like, Oh, I want to watch every college football game all the time. And so that's what I do on uh, Saturdays and Thursdays and some Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> I, I watch every college football game that I possibly can. I actually, I don't, uh, some college football fans would say you can't truly be a college football fan because you don't like to go to a game. And the reason I don't like to go to a game is because I want to watch every game, not one game. Right. Yeah. So I've, I've gone to uh, several college football games, but every time I've, I've wanted to just be at home watching every game yes. instead of the one. <laughs> um, so anyway, Ben, is, is it possible that you didn't get Runner Zombie? I got Runner Zombie. Apparently, you will become something far more powerful than you are in life. They are doubting my powers, Steve. I just crossed oh, 100,000 wow. subscribers on my YouTube channel. They are you doubt- did. They're doubting my powers. You know who else doubted uh, someone's power? Tell me. Gawker doubted Hulk Hogan's power. Yeah, they and did. And they got taken down, BuzzFeed. Shit. So. Um, much stronger and exponentially faster. As a runner zombie, you'll pursue your targets with terrifying, relentless speed of an unnatural creature that does not need to breathe or rest. It will be as though you just consumed the corpse of Rick James. Interesting. We were just talking about that. Mary Jane. <laughs> What's your favorite James song? That, that was it. <laughs> I I love me some Rick James, but I can't deny the power of Mary. That's just such a great song. That's an all-time jam, but my jam of jams. Give it to me, baby. Give it to me, baby. <laughs> That's a great one. Um, Yeah, so... Rick, we are Rick James zombies, we've discovered. Apparently, and we are. Let me just go ahead and say that the important thing that happens in Night of the Living Dead uh, is that zombies run and use tools and know how to open doors. That's something that I was going to say, man. So let me, let me go ahead and put this out there here for our listeners, too. I'm not sure, Steve, that I had ever like sat down and attentively watched night of the living dead like oh I really think, i really really like i think it's always been one of those ones that's like mm-hmm. been on at a party okay yeah well it is a good party party yeah party, a good move party movie marty poovy is the guy that directed it's a it. good marty poovy so i don't i don't know that i'd ever watched it so whenever i was sitting down watching this watching this there were some surprises for me, yeah, namely that the zombies were, mm-hmm. you know, for one, kind of intelligent. They used tools. They did stuff like bashed out the lights of the cars because they're, I guess, yeah. they're they're photosensitive zombies. Yeah, that's uh, and that was a major element of I Am Legend and um, the, the Omega Man, which was the film version of I Am Legend. That makes sense because it's more vampire-y and stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. So they're photosensitive and they're afraid of fire. Um, yeah, so that that's like the vampire element of it. And that sort of goes away in future, like in Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. And I think that that actually can be explained in a way that makes perfect sense. And that is that... In this early time when the the zombies were rising, these were people who had just died. 
And yeah. so because they had just died, their muscles were still fluid. Because uh, we do hear in here some exposition on the radio that, or maybe it's on the TV, that the uh, people, they, they rise within minutes of death. So rigor mortis hasn't set in. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can still freely run. Maybe they can think better. And maybe their the, their eyes haven't gone dull. Because later zombies work more off of their sense of smell. Mm, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you have some that'll just totally just stand still until they smell or hear somebody yeah. and so on. So I think this actually does make a lot of sense. And this is something that happened in the first episode of The Walking Dead. Mm. Where... Uh, uh, as one of the zombies, and I know, I think uh, Robert Kirkman said this on the Nerdist podcast, where like they they saw this later in the footage, and they were like, "No, what are you doing?" But one of the zombies sort of starts to climb a fence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like that that would have been more pure Romero to to sort of see that early on, to see that the zombies can maybe do a little bit more and be a little bit smarter than the zombies who have been around longer and been decaying longer. Right, right. And yeah, it, it surprised me too to see that, you know, again, typically when you think about the old school zombies, you think of the slow shuffling, plodding kind of zombies. And yeah. like when we see that very first one there in the cemetery with Barbara and her brother there, um, he is just kind of plodding around. But then what surprised me is once he's upon Barbara and she's like trapped in the car, mm -hmm. they yeah. become like frantic and like animalistic and he's like bashing in the window and he's yeah. you know what i mean he's very animalistic he's very vicious yeah. and stuff and becomes it's more 28 days later than totally other zombies yeah it's almost like they're conserving their energy but when they've got you know when there's blood in the water they go fucking nuts george romero definitely created the 28 days later zombies anyway because the crazies is essentially 28 days later like mm -hmm. So he he had already considered the idea of the viral zombie that that is fast and like the adrenal gland is just pumping over time. So like even the zombies that people would say aren't the traditional Romero zombies are still Romero zombies. They're still zombies he created. Now one thing that I thought was interesting too that again as essentially a first time watcher, I found to be a bit surprising about this Steve is that um which is something I really like about this movie is a lot of the exposition about what's going on is just told by overheard radio broadcast and TV broadcast and yeah, stuff so like that. Yeah, exactly. You don't change scenes to where you see, you know, this uh, satellite, this Venus probe satellite exploding that they talk about on the radio. You just hear about it on the radio the same as the characters do. So you know as much as them, you know, as the viewer you're not shown events that are happening halfway across the world that the characters aren't aware of, but you are. You know as much as they do, which I think is really you're interesting. Just, yeah, you're just as lost. You're just as confused as to what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a real good setup. But that's something that kind of surprised me is, you know, unlike a lot of other you know zombie flicks that have, like you said, a virus or maybe even a like an Evil Dead-style curse that awakens the dead, um... There's a few things in this movie, including what I'm about to talk about here, that to me very much remind me of the classic, you know, 1950s, 1960s, black and white, B-movie, it came from outer space kind of schlock. 
Um, yeah. Where one of the explanations they give for the dead rising from, from the grave and stuff here is that this uh, probe satellite that was um, going out to Venus, it was coming back to Earth and NASA had to detonate it and that the radiation coming down was causing this to happen. That is very much a sci-fi B-movie kind of trope, isn't it? Yeah, and the the thing is, the way they present it is though it could be unreliable. Yes, because exactly. like they're talking to three men, and the general doesn't want to say that that's what it is. Uh, a professor is saying yes, definitely that's what it is, and a doctor is more like in the middle. Where he's like, well, that could be it, but we don't have enough information. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually a running trope throughout the Of the Dead movies is that, like, then in Dawn of the Dead, it starts out in a television studio, basically. We're, we're seeing a debate going on about what is happening and what's causing this. And so, like, it, it then is, like, the major issue in Day of the Dead where they're trying to discover what's causing this. And so, like, there, there's never a full answer. And that that works really great. It's really good, like, B-movie stuff where it's like you can just throw out any wild idea and, yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> well, I like that, too, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about on our, on our last episode there, our Harry Potter episode, where we were talking about that line in fiction of not explaining everything. But yeah. you, you get enough information that it makes your own imagination jog and makes you go, well, what could be going on? Um, again, a fine line to toe, and I love how they, they do it here. Where, like you said, they, they kind of give this explanation out there, but it's not really definitive. You know, it's not really authoritative. Um, but still, it did yeah. kind of surprise me to hear probe from Venus. Like, that's just so sci fi. Well, yeah, I mean, but, like, space exploration was so young then, and, like, the idea that something could come back, like, it was a real horror. Like, it it can be sci-fi um, in the sense that it's, like, well, like, it, it is a result of science, but it was, like, a real fear people had that something might come back from space while we're exploring it, and it could destroy us all. It could kill us all. Well, and the interesting thing is, too, is, again, when you look at this in terms of time period-wise, this was made in the middle of the fucking Cold War, right? And you got to think, this came out in 1968, right around when we were kind of revving up for, of course, the the space race with Russia. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure about the dates of when Sputnik went into orbit and stuff like that, but it couldn't have been far away from this, right? No, no. uh, I think Sputnik had already occurred. I mean, they weren't far from the moon landing at this point. And so the notion that this thing that we put into space could turn other human beings, you know, our, our own kind, our own species into monsters because they'd been exposed to this. I don't know if that was some sort of a little bit of a Cold War commentary um, Uh about the space race and stuff. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Because it's these people lurking among you who are suddenly monsters, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the things that uh, we get from you know invasion of the body snatchers and stuff like this sure totally and therefore yeah but like 
this has a because especially when you consider this in relation to dawn of the dead and how dawn of the dead has a very strong anti-capitalist sent sentiment to it yeah like it could be seen that the zombies in this are are the true patriots they're the capitalists they're the ones who follow they're the ones who say the pledge of allegiance they're the ones who they because this is at a time of there's a this is at a time of the Vietnam War where it's like why are we doing this? Yeah. Like why are we sending people off to fight a war against communism? Like why do we care? Yeah. If communism takes hold, it's it, it's no skin off our nose. Yeah. And and so like the the capitalists are the zombies. They're the ones who fall in line. They're the ones who just take uh, whatever is given to them from you know the media or the government at, at that time. So. Uh, yeah, I, it's interesting in light of the Cold War, for sure. What do you think of the directorial style of this movie? Because I have a few things in my notes that I took while watching it that I thought were really, really interesting. Because even within the per the first few minutes, you know, first 15, 20 minutes of the movie, there are like 80 million, you know, like Dutch angles where the camera is like tilted <laughs> at a diagonal yeah. and stuff, which you're not used to seeing in a fucking black and white movie and an, another thing that i thought was really interesting too that i could see resonating profoundly with giallo movies happening over in italy too there's some use of like zooms and stuff in this movie like whenever she um i think it's whenever barb is in the house and she goes upstairs and there's like the corpse at the top of the stairs you yeah know? the camera just quickly zooms in on the face of this like disgusting corpse and to me, it reminded me very much of something you'd see in a Fulci movie or an Argento movie. They love those quick zooms like that, especially on a horrifying subject. And I was just like, man, that's totally where they got this from right there. And there are a few high contrast, just blood shots of like fake blood dripping or sure. pooling where it's just like the blood is so dark against a real white background, which is, yeah, again, Giallo, like. Uh, yeah, I saw that too. I and I I also thought like the scene where the the mother gets killed in the basement by her zombie daughter. It was so like it was so much like Giallo because she when she pulls out the the trowel to yeah. kill her, it's like there's a focus on the trowel and then we like watch it almost from her angle. Yeah, you're going right. Down. That's almost like how like uh, Argento loves to show that that murder weapon. He loves to show that that mm -hmm. knife or that pair of scissors or yeah, whatever. It's like look at the murder weapon. That was very much like how it was with that trowel for sure. Yeah, and that, uh, that's obviously influenced by Psycho too. So oh, yeah. like. Yeah, I, I think Romero just like because he's he's working on a small budget. He's working with inexperienced actors. Like this is this is traditional, like what we understand as people who've gone through the uh, slasher era and the camp era of horror movies, of just like you know low budget, do the best with what you have. Like turn turn uh, a little bit into a lot. Totally and. Yeah, they they really did this well. There are a lot of shots in here that are emulated in later horror movies. When when she runs up the stairs and sees the dead body, that shot is emulated almost exactly in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, the, you're right, yeah. Mm -hmm, there uh, there's several shots that just reminded me of 
other horror movies so perfectly and it i mean this this is like a foundational horror movie this is a movie that came out in a period where like a lot of the stuff that was coming out was just weird sci-fi b-movie like yeah. 3d stuff sometimes and like or you know like odd um british versions of dracula hammer movies that were a little uh inaccessible to american audiences sure so th this movie to come out and to be in black and white and to just sort of rely on that contrast of dark and light and um use the little bit of budget you have and just make it uh, as frightening as possible by making a frightening situation well and i'll tell you what too man this is one of those movies that it may have even started the tradition that we see repeated over and over and over and over again in the genre of horror that these very small, low-budget, uncompromising, self-produced movies with these teeny tiny budgets but an uncompromising vision of what the writers and directors have in mind go on to become massive, tremendous hits. This movie yeah. made, I was reading on IMDb, it made, I think it said 238 times its own budget. Yeah. That's unreal. And then we saw that mirrored, of course, later on with stuff like Texas Chainsaw, stuff like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then, of course, in the modern era, movies like Saw and Blair Witch Project. Those are some of the most mm -hmm. profitable movies ever made. Yeah. Paranormal Activity cost $100,000 and made over $100 million. Jesus <laughs> Christ, dude, that's insane. That's insane. And that's something that really, you know, that that's really some very, very cool, you know, um, credibility that I think only the horror genre can claim for itself like i don't know any rom-com that has that kind of story or or any of course you know big budget michael bay action movie definitely can't claim that they made yeah. it for nothing they didn't compromise on even a single speck of the original intent and then made yeah. their money back tens if not hundreds of times over it's it's amazing to see that in the horror genre and this was one of the first maybe the first yeah it's uh it's so good like i i just i'm so amazed like what what this really drew out in me when i saw it uh years ago again for you know the first time it, it felt like what this brought out in me was just like oh yeah like this we're constantly sold these ideas of like innocence in the past and like I guess I had already, like, that had already been undermined because I was studying 18th century literature, and it's like, you know, you, there's so many, like, super pornographic novels from that time, mm. like Fanny Hill and stuff like that, and then later in the 19th century, like, stuff from the Marquis de Sade, uh, like, so much stuff that's just demented and sick and very strongly sexual and violent and things like that nothing's new that yeah that watching this just sort of like cemented it for me that it's like like who are these people that get up in arms like about the good old days and how you know when i was a kid my parents would let me run around the whole neighborhood without any supervision and it's like well yeah you got lucky you didn't get murdered because when you were a kid people were getting murdered 
Yeah, but yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's your like, dumb ass just doesn't know about it. Just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But no, you're, you're right, though. It is always amazing to look back through old works of film or literature or art and realize... I mean, that's how I felt whenever I read H.P. Lovecraft for the first time, like a year or two oh, yeah. ago, where I was like, my God, this is fucking twisted and fucked up and crazy. Not in an old-timey way, but in a... No. Oh this is truly demented and horrifying kind of way. Um, it's really eye-opening to see that kind of thing, that there's there's really nothing new under the sun. I mean, everybody has experienced no. uh, and had these ideas of what horror and violence and stuff is. And this movie, you know, it's... For the time, I'm sure that it was shockingly violent with its scenes of cannibalism, especially the cannibalism was the really you know, shocking part of this movie for audiences back then. And um, yeah, it has some pretty brutal stuff. The scene after the truck blows up, and I think that's, oh, the, coolest, yeah. that's the coolest scene in the huh. movie, when the zombies, like, tear them up from outside of the truck, yeah. and they're all eating them. And it just shows them, they're actually eating, like, ham coated in chocolate sauce. <laughs> yeah, and sausages and things like that. Yeah, it, it shows them devouring them. And two, dude, like, that scene... I actually re rewound it and watched it like two or three times. It tripped me out so much because the movie gets super crazy and surreal at that point where they start eating them. And also the soundtrack gets oh, yeah. weird as fuck. Whereas like a lot of the soundtrack stuff has been this orchestral Hitchcockian kind of thing. Yeah, and then it's suddenly just real strange. Yeah, it's like this weird rhythmic like synthesizer, like John Carpenter sound and shit. Like, cause yeah, because this is like, this is the focal point of the horror, is the the dead coming back to life to consume the living. It's it's like the one thing I I guess one political view of it would be, in that time there was a lot of progressive politics going on and the there were of course still the conservatives. And they were a part of a, a generation that grew up in the Depression. They're older now. And despite the fact that they grew up in these really liberal times, they're now super conservative. And it's like they're coming back and and taking from the youth. Mm -hmm. Like the, the elderly are coming back and taking from the youth. When the the politics of their day were these super liberal FDR politics that created what people, I guess, assume were the good old days. I mean, economically they were great. There was far less like wage disparity and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But again, like socially they were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Obviously. So yeah. And so like in the, the late mid to late sixties, that's what they were revolting against was this like terrible social situation and it was almost like, yeah, these old people are consuming us. They're not allowing us to create this beautiful world we want. And they're they're just trying to take and not give anything. Right. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely so, man. Definitely so. It's uh what do you think about what do you think about Barbara in the movie? Because going into this, of course, I, I expected her to kind of be the main character. She's one of the first people that we yeah, see. Yeah, and but she's not. Yeah, yeah, she spends most of the movie just basically catatonic. The movie starts off with her and her brother. Mm -hmm. It's her brother, right? 
Yeah, that's her brother. Um, going to the cemetery to lay a wreath on the on the gravestone and stuff, and that's when the zombie appears and kills her brother. And then, okay, here's the thing: she wrecks the car, right? Well, yeah, she because uh, she doesn't have the keys. She just basically uses the brake release and therefore doesn't have steering control nah, and ends up nah, man. running into a tree. Yeah, you, you missed it. It's not because she didn't have the keys. Oh, what was it? Because she didn't have the driving gloves. Oh shit! <laughs> that that steering wheel only works with those driving gloves. That thing will slip right out, oh. it's, it, dude. It's like trying to steer an eel. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> if she'd have, if she'd have got those driving gloves from her brother, she yeah. could have maintained control on that beast. Yeah, if she had gotten those driving gloves, what would have happened is she would have driven off, and then it would have cut to 10 years later, and you'd see her dressed in road leathers like Mad Max, and it would, she'd be smoking a cigarette, and then she'd have like a cow catcher on the front of a hot rod, and she'd be running over zombies. Shit, yeah, and like maybe like on the knuckles yeah. of like the driving yeah. gloves, she has like, yeah. um, fuck you, exclamation point, like on the knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, yeah, and then in the passenger seat, there's Ben. She picked him up along the way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then it's just a, it's just a zombie killing road movie. And, you Great know, stuff. Kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about this movie, still having a little bit of a bloodline of those schlocky B-movies. Um, you know, that, that it came from outer space kind of vibe at, at times. It's only really in the, in the Venus thing. And then uh-huh. also in the the fact that I think about ten minutes in the movie, Barb has already like slipped and fallen while being chased about five times. Yeah, I you know I think like once we get into the eighties and nineties, when we see women doing this, it's like okay, this is ridiculous, like. Women are a strong part of the workforce. Like they, they, you know, women, women are doing it for themselves. Yeah. I, th- I think in the mid to late sixties, you steal, you would, like, you would see women who still don't know what to do because they've been protected their whole lives, and that that's not like a that's not a bash on women. Yeah, that's a bash on the system that doesn't allow them to learn how to protect themselves. That's a good like point. Like she's been, she's been kept away from any stressful situation her whole life. So the second she's in one, she goes catatonic. Like she, yeah, like she doesn't know how to. Eventually, deal with it. it's just, yeah. And you're right. It has nothing to do with her being a woman. It has to do with her uh, being raised that way in society and so on. Yeah, so I think, like, you know, it could be looked at as, like, uh, a not-feminist character, but that's, I think, actually exactly what feminists would want people to see from that era is that this is the this is the type of woman your system raises. That's true, like, this yeah. Is, yeah, like, we, we want... We want strong women. We want women who know better, who know how to handle themselves. Right, right. But but look how you're creating helpless people instead. Yeah. We do get that in um in in Dawn of the Dead a little bit, though she ends up pregnant and and uh is, you know, semi helpless, though she uh still ends up 
doing just fine for herself and then in day of the dead our main character is female and she's she is much more like strong and so like we we do see an evolution it's true because because of what is happening in the world of women's rights throughout that time is that the the women do get stronger and they show more of like this um you know tough quality that's true yeah if you compare barb in this to our main chick there in Day of the Dead, it is, it could not be more night and day. Yeah. But, you know, I was really quick to kind of come down on, on Barbara and the way that she is basically catatonic. I mean, at one point, she is just, like, staring at the doily on the couch arm, just, yeah. you know, worthless. But then again, it's like, she was just she kind saw- of having a normal day, and then she saw her brother get killed by a corpse. Yeah. And she didn't even know, you don't even have to know it was a corpse. She saw her brother get killed. Yeah, that would kind of that would kind of put me off of my rhythm. Yeah, and somebody tried to kill her. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That would that would <laughs> like, kind of disrupt my vibe. I think that would throw me off I my groove. I feel like it'd be a tough day. It'd be a tough day. Yeah, if I saw my brother get killed in front of me, and then the person who killed my brother also tried to kill me, and I barely escaped. Yeah, I might I might be a little uh, emotionally winded. Yeah, yeah, pretty much so. But Ben, that's the thing. Uh, that's the thing about Ben that is so compelling, is that he's not. He's he he tells us a story that is very brutal. Yeah. I mean, the person he saw get killed was not someone directly related to him, but he saw something very brutal, and he is obviously, um, he's obviously shaken. But Ben's Ben's natural reaction, because you know he's been trained as a man to to be strong in these situations etc is he know he knows what to do he knows we need to board up these windows we need to find weapons we need to protect ourselves we need to find safety yeah and so he that's what he does and and ben is you know he's uh he's the inspiration for rick grimes obviously like he's the inspiration for almost all future zombie movie heroes yeah. Where they're the person who, they they don't think that the situation is fine. They know it's fucked up, but they it's like they're emotionally prepared for it. They they're ready when it happens. And you know, on the subject of Ben too, what what I found is really interesting. Kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about you know, even if they didn't meet mean to make this a racial statement, they did make it a racial statement just by casting a black guy as the main character in a movie at this time period. Yeah. I mean, people I was, have been trying to kill me my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, I was watching this movie, again, knowing what I knew about the time period and, and when this was going on and so on. And I was just like, surely somebody is going to mention the fact that he's black. Somebody's going to bring it up. Yeah. Um, they don't. Especially that character, Harry, who's kind of an asshole. It's like. Yeah. I, it seems that any. He's so close to. Well, saying the n-word but you know what was amazing to me is watching this movie and i'm waiting for the biggest asshole in this movie to mention something about him being black and he never does made me feel like an asshole yeah well exactly that's exactly like uh why this casting is so perfect because they draw no attention to it they draw nothing it makes you think about why you're thinking about it. Yeah. And the reason you're thinking about it is because you have time to sit back on your ass and think about it. In life or death situation, who the fuck cares what anybody's skin color is? That's if great, you're on yeah. my side, 
if you're on my side, if we're working together to not die, yeah, that's great. You know, that that's a really good way to put it, too. It's like ultimately in those times of crisis, maybe that is ultimately what it takes to make us finally quit fucking ignoring race once and for all, you know? Yeah. If it's a matter of come together, be killed, maybe then we can finally, finally just fucking shut off that part of our stupid brains. It is really disgusting that the people who claim to uh, support our soldiers also uh, don't care for Hispanic people and black people when a large number of our soldiers are Hispanic and black. Yeah. Uh, you know, a large number of our Hispanic soldiers may not have been entirely legal. Yeah. So if you care about soldiers and you want to deport all illegals, maybe fuck yourself. <laughs> maybe. You go and fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I think like this says a lot about race. It, it is less about sex, but I think the female characters do call a lot, too. Like, there's a lot of attention to be paid to what they bring to the story. Yeah. I think also we get, like, we have Karen who was bitten. And that, that is the first indication that being bitten by a zombie is what changes you into a zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's a trope now. It's the thing. Like, you get bitten by a zombie yeah, or scratched. Knows. Yeah, now scratched is also a thing, though. It's obviously not a, an issue in this movie. Um, yeah, but, like, the the female characters have a lot to do. And in fact, there this movie would pass the Bechdel test because there are female characters talking about something other than a man. Damn, uh, that's very true, dude. It's like how many fucking movies now can claim to have a black guy as the main actor, not make a big deal uh-huh. out of it or exploit it, and also pass the fucking Bechdel test? Like, and this was yeah. made fucking forty years ago, dude. Well, wait, almost yeah. fifty years ago. Almost fifty years ago, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is. I, I think it just takes it takes that mind to say like we're telling a story like we're not reacting to society uh, necessarily we're telling a story the best actor should have the part and we we should make sure to represent that the world is 50% man 50% woman yeah like we can't pretend that in this situation it would be a house full of men this isn't this isn't gonna be 12 angry men (laughs) like because that's what that's what this could have been easily yeah it's just a bunch of men in a house angry at each other right that's a really good point man now one thing i definitely want to ask you about and, and again with this being the first really legit time that i've seen the movie one thing that definitely did blow my hair back in this flick is the very end of the movie where the cops show up and just fucking kill everybody yeah, they kill Ben. I I think um, we're supposed there's there's just a quick shot of Ben where he's sort of leaned forward and he you see in his eyes he almost looks like he's so exhausted that he's like dead and he's breathing a bit ragged and then he gets shot by a cop. Now it's done. It's over. Now uh, like. There, there's no way to not talk about the fact that that actually happens in our everyday life. Yeah, it's, like, fucked I, up. It, it, it's like this. It's ex- exactly like this situation where it's like, well, you're jumpy. Like, you're assuming that around you there are enemies. 
I mean, I don't think there's any excuse for that. I, I, I can't imagine what it is, but I, I'm so used to those situations happening to black men and women that it's just like I'm numb. I, I don't even know how. I don't even know how to care. Well, I today. wonder. I wonder too. Kind of going back to what you were saying about the way that this timeline wise coincides with like the Vietnam War and stuff like that. I mean, what we're ultimately seeing is, you know, Ben, who is on the same side as the police that show up. He is on the same yeah. side, the side of the living, the side that wants to defeat these, you know, Walking Dead people. He is just needlessly slaughtered as a part of the collateral damage of the whole thing. Yeah. Which, of course, in times of war, there is always, always, always collateral damage. You know, whether it be friendly fire or people that were getting killed in Vietnam that were, you know, against the Viet Cong, but ended up getting hit with napalm or Agent Orange or whatever as a result of us just trying to, you know, clear the field, so to speak. Um, I wonder if that's also some kind of a commentary on that where I would say that I I would say it's like that would be the primary commentary because again uh the actor was just chosen because it was the best actor. Yeah. And the character wasn't written as black. So like we we have and, and my perspective is is you know 50 years separated from 1968 yeah. though to be fair in 1968, police were shooting black people for nothing then. Um, yeah. So, n- nothing, nothing's changed. No. But, um, so yeah, it, it even it had that context then. But I think that the yeah the original context would be that sort of idea that when you can't tell the difference between the enemy and and everyone else, like exactly. everyone looks like the enemy. But exactly. This, that also has resonance in our modern time with the. Uh, war on terror which is the vaguest possible war you could have my god the yes. war on being afraid yeah the war on not being white yeah so like we we still see that inability to tell inability amongst some to tell friend from foe even when it's obvious sometimes it's just like professor x always said man the more things change the more they say the same huh yeah, I remember that class we had together at the X Mansion at the School for Gifted Youngsters. Yeah. <laughs> now, really, at the end of this movie, especially with that, with that being the ending, and then I thought it was really interesting too that you know after Ben gets shot and he's dead, the credits roll and the credits are overlaid with like news footage of these brave heroic policemen that didn't go through any of the shit that those poor people in that fucking house went through. Um, I thought that was really interesting. It left me feeling just gross, dude. Yeah. Gross and amazingly bleak. It was just grim and bleak, which, you know, typically a black and white 1960s horror movie does not yeah, it doesn't have that effect no uh-uh, not at all because that's one of those things where you're like ah they're still kind of trying to get in the hang of it you know but <laughs> that's obviously a bat on a string and also a bat's not scary so yeah exactly but you know it's like when you see some of the flicks like i mean like after you watch the exorcist it's like you feel fucking bleak and hopeless after you watch that or if, if you watch something well, like that's the, only that's only five years after this by the way <laughs> God damn, when you put it that way, that's 
that makes yeah. both movies even more mind blowing actually. Yeah. Um, but I had never, I don't think I'd ever seen any flick from the sixties. That was horror that made me feel that just kind of empty and bleak is the only word that I have to come up with. No, And it's, it's perfect. That's exactly how I feel about it too. It's, it's bleak. And that's, that's what the, the black and white does for this film is that it draws that contrast the whole time. Like, Early on, you see a lot of grays. Like, everything seems sort of gray, but as it goes, everything gets more black and white. It's like, the lighting gets yeah. more, yeah, saturated. Everything's more black and white. Yeah. And so, like, that that's the feeling you get as you go throughout is that, like, there there is this sort of black and white. There's this right and wrong, and, like... We, we, we feel like it all makes sense, and then this ending just throws that for a loop. Well, and you know what's interesting, too, about the ending of the movie, especially when you look at it in relation to other good versus bad stories or monster movies at that time? Like, yeah. they didn't beat the monsters. Like, nowhere in the credits no. is it like, and finally, the zombie plague is cured. Like, it, it, does, it does have that feeling like... Like the the human, it, it's like this great feel. Like it's exactly what Romero wanted. I think that great feeling that if you know the ending is, um, I am Legend, where there's one last human left. If you know that's the ending, this is the type of feeling I bet we'd have within the first few days of a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, it's like we beat this small, teeny tiny uprising. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're getting it, but then it, it just explodes. Like it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And that's what that's what you see as soon as Dawn of the Dead starts. Is that like the the everyone's starting to realize like, oh no, like we, we're not gonna win this. We we have to run and hide. And then that's And again, that's also very Vietnam y too when you think about it, because yes. you, had, you had these people that were holed up in this house holding their own against these zombies and stuff. But then the, the big, bad, militarized police state comes in. They're like, we've got this, and we kill all the people, even the fucking people that were fighting on the same side as us. And we're like, there we go. We won. We did it. We totally win. Yeah, exactly. No more communism. <laughs> yeah. It's like that is also a very, I think, kind of relevant sort of viewpoint to look at as far as what actually happens at the end of the movie. Because, again... They didn't win, you know? Us going to Vietnam, no. we didn't stop communism at all. No. I mean, well, eventually we we uh, put a big dent in it, but why? Like, yeah. like we, we did it just so that we could then say that communism doesn't work or socialism doesn't work. Like, any socialist government that's ever failed has failed because we made it fail. <laughs> any communist government that's ever failed has failed because we made it fail. Ugh. Like... So, like, what millions uh, of people, like, not just in uh, Vietnam, but Korea, and honestly, like, a lot of our involvement in World War II, which had nothing to do with stopping the Nazis and more to do with uh, getting more of a foothold in Southeast Asia. Sure. Uh, like, and World War One. Like, we, we've just, we've sacrificed millions of lives to expand capitalist interest. And, yeah, I mean, I really think that that's a lot of what this 
this movie is about. It has like, to and be. What, it has to and be. And a lot about what the of like Land of the Dead, et cetera, are, are really about is that that there has to be like land of the dead really sets the idea for there has to eventually be an uprising of 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 the consumers like the consumers eventually have to be like no they this is not working yeah. you're controlling everything and and we have no control over anything yeah um so yeah i i think i think these movies are extremely socially and and uh philosophically relevant still to this day if i'm talking about positives and negatives for this movie um it's it's hard to pick a negative when you're talking about an absolute classic yeah something that revolutionary it's kind of hard to pick it apart yeah i i would say i i don't know like what (laughs) <laughs> do i want the special effects to be better i don't know they they seem pretty great like, i know yeah that's the thing is they're like, really yeah it's it's just they're eating meat and that's exactly what you would want like i i'm always perplexed by when it shows zombies eating something that looks disgusting like wouldn't you want the actors portraying this to really like what they're eating like to, <laughs> yeah. like to just be this fucking jamming it in your mouth and maybe you like have them skip lunch so they're really hungry right yeah get some convincing uh, yeah. out of it yeah like uh, so i don't know it's, it's hard to say anything negative about this movie I, but i don't want to i don't want to seem like i'm just trying to be nice because george romero died sure uh but i'm not that's not what's happening uh, uh could the acting have been better no i don't think so I think if they had chosen a well-established actors, this would have been a shit movie. Nobody would have been willing to do the things that shit actors are willing to do. That's true. Which is again yeah. always been a staple of the horror genre as well. Yes. Oh, well, and this this is one of those things that helped create that staple of the horror genre. That like you're gonna get your best performances out of people who don't live in a mansion in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Uh, that's always going to be true um i i don't know i'm i don't know that being in color would have made this better there is a colorized version i've seen it it's it's fine i don't have a problem with it but is it better I than think, the original huh? no it's <laughs> the black and white version is 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 better than the colorized version because it it uses that great contrast in the stark dark saturation and and just real great uh cellar scenes mm-hmm. i love the way they do the cellar scenes i do too. This, i mean this this movie is it's impossible for me to say it's not a 10 out of 10 yeah because i it's it's amazing it's a really fucking great movie yeah i i agree with you there man it, it is hard to come up with much to critique about it because I mean, like you said, it's like, could it have been gorier? Yeah, I guess so, but it's like the special... Yeah, but like, why? And also, those kinds of special effects didn't really exist back then. You know, it's like... Yeah, they. it's like you said, they showed them eating fucking torn apart, you know, meat from humans and stuff. Did they show them ripping dudes' arms and legs off? No, but would it have been better if they did? I don't really know that it would, you know? No. 
Um, yeah, I, I think I think that that scene was perfect because the the scene where we see them eat, the the people that they eat get roasted in the car, so it makes sense that they're eating what looks like cooked meat. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true too. That's true too. So. And like you said, the acting is very much of the time. And if they would have gotten a, a Charlton Heston or a Gregory Peck or somebody like that in there, it's like it definitely would not have been the same movie. And it's like you said, I bet they would have pared it down dramatically yeah. and not taken as many risks as they would have if they would have had big-name budget actors riding on it. Because then they're going, oh, we got to make our investment back on Mr. Heston or whatever. Um, well, yeah, and if if you're trying to make that investment back, you're going to turn the story between Ben and Barbara into a love story. You know, there's going to be a kiss. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's also wow. Now that you mentioned that too, that's just another thing. Kind of like we said earlier about the the casting, uh, the gender split of the movie, and so on. That this movie did so fucking well. Huh? They didn't try to push a fucking love story, which is something that yeah most movies seem completely inept at it's like well if a male and female are in a story together they must end up together in wonderful hetero love yeah with the one kiss scene we get is between the two people that then get roasted in the truck yeah <laughs> yeah like i mean and that's a great scene honestly the oh, scene badass. where those those two are talking and like basically he's trying to convince her like i'm going to go in the truck with him and like it it it's so realistic like it, it it's not like she's dependent on him it's like she loves him she does like she doesn't want him to die yeah so they they have this real genuine scene together yeah and, and yeah so like they do kiss it's not a big dramatic kiss there's not like a rising music in the background or anything it's mm -hmm. just a kiss yeah. so i yeah so that's, that's just another way that this movie earns points with me. No forced fucking stupid romance that wouldn't happen in real life. I like that very much about it, too. Yeah, it's hard to complain about much. Soundtrack was dope. I liked how the soundtrack mm -hmm. got weirder and more Music's surreal awesome. in the more surreal moments of the movie. Um, and also, too, there's some other fucked up stuff in there. You know, like how Barbara gets killed by her brother? Yeah. Oh my god! Because I didn't that, even yes. realize it at first, but it was like he busts in and he's wearing the fucking driving gloves. Uh huh. And he's all like, "I'm Keith from the Try Guys." Yeah. No glove, no love. <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. He says, "I'm Keith from the Try Guys. No glove, no love." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, she gets killed by her undead brother, who is the reason she's so like uh, hysterical. Yeah, like dude. the reason throughout the movie that she's so hysterical, and what happens right before that is that Ben is at the door struggling by himself to try to keep out these undead, and she finally musters up the the courage to run over and help. Yeah, she runs over to help, and she gets killed by her undead brother, which has to be the full circle nightmare. Yeah, what started it is seeing her brother get killed. And now her brother's fucking killing her. That has to just be the yeah. fucking worst. Yeah, now the, up. the moment she can get outside herself and think about helping someone else, the very nightmare she's trying to get over comes true. Yeah. <laughs> like, And really, how I would kind of look at this movie, you know, the way I've been sort of thinking about it over the past day or so that I watched the movie, to me, this movie is very much like 
if I could make a musical comparison, this movie is very much like the band Black Sabbath, where it came completely out of nowhere, never really had uh-huh. any predecessor, no blueprint to base itself upon before it. Um, and it's actually interesting, too, because I think Black Sabbath's first record came out like the year after this, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe the same year. It might have been 68. Uh, they formed in 68. It's formed but, in 68. Uh, okay. Wow. So this is like right in line with that. So it's yeah. simil- Paranoid came out in 70. So uh, anyway, go ahead. Damn. That's awesome. So the thing is, is very much like Black Sabbath. It's like if you've never heard the original stuff before, but you've grown up listening to, um, you know, Cannibal Corpse and fucking <laughs> Metallica yeah. and all these other brutal bands that were basing everything off of black sugar ray sugar ray exactly yeah (laughs) but you know it's like if you grew up on these more i guess you could say evolved versions of black sabbath and then you go back and listen to black sabbath like let's say you'd never heard paranoid you'd never heard iron man but you had heard Whitechapel or something like that well, uh-huh. you go back to Black Sabbath and you're like, this is quite tame. I've heard things a million times more brutal than this. And yeah, maybe. It, it almost seems, you know, harmonically and melodically and riff-wise and stuff like that, if you've never heard Black Sabbath before, it can almost seem very generic because you've heard other people rip off Black Sabbath so many <laughs> times that it's made Black Sabbath yeah. sound generic. It's, uh, it's actually the... The same as the Twilight Zone. Oh, like, yeah. If you go back and watch the Twilight Zone, it's like, I know all these stories. Well, you know all these stories because they were ripped off over and over and over again because they're so good. Dude, and that's like, that's exactly how this movie is. You could watch this movie and be like, oh, they did that better on, on Walking Dead. Oh, they did that better in 28 Days Later. Oh, they did that better in Shaun of the Dead. Like, Yeah, well, they had 45 years to think about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's exactly like what you said. If it seems familiar to you, it's because it's been ripped off that many times. So yeah. whenever people were seeing this for the first time, it had to be like when they heard Black Sabbath for the first time when people were like, I don't yeah. even know how to handle this. This is so brutal and morbid and dark. Um, yeah, and we, we know that to be true because of the reaction to The Exorcist. Oh, God, yeah. And then the reaction to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, is uh, 78? It's 10, 10 years after this, right? Gosh, yeah. So, so like, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre, people were, uh, you know, vomiting and, and leaving the theater. So, yeah, like, th- this is so ahead of its time. Yeah. It's insane. Very much so. But if you if you weren't there for it, you might go back and think that it seems cliche. But yeah. you got to remember, everybody that imitated this made it cliche. And at the time, there was absolutely nothing cliche about it. But unlike a lot of things like that where you have to watch it under the lens of, well, you have to remember when it was made blah, 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 to appreciate it. Uh, right. This is still just a very appreciatable, enjoyable movie it's oh, yeah. it's pretty tight it's pretty compact it's maybe an hour 20 hour 30 um yeah it, it hasn't lost a beat like i, I no. think even today it's still just as easy to see how it's it's amazing it's just as easy to see how great it is i was surprised by how fast paced the movie is because there's so many movies from that yeah. time period who are you watching it's like god damn this is slow 
Yeah, and the even the genius slow moments are the moments where they all sit around and stare at the radio or stare at the TV, which is still making a statement about capitalism and about uh, like the society at the time. Sure. Where like it keeps showing these shots, individual shots of each of them, and they're just sitting slack jawed staring at the TV. Yeah. And then it, it will like show the shots of the people outside and they're slack jawed, dead eyed, walking forward. And so it's like there's this automatic correlation between the two. Sure, absolutely so. So I was I was really impressed by the the pacing of the movie and I just genuinely didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't feel like I never felt like this is gonna be a hero rides off into the sunset kind of movie, but then when that ending hit, I was like, God damn, this was all for nothing. This is just, I was shocked <laughs> by how empty I felt when this movie ended. So I'm with you. Yeah. Absolute, absolute classic, man. I, I'm going to have to, you know, in terms of influence and scope, it's like a fucking 1,000 out of 10. But in terms of how much yeah. I enjoyed it, I'm going to rock that a solid 9 out of 10. Very, very, very cool. Awesome. Very enjoyable flick, man. And, yeah. Uh, again, thank you so much to, to George Romero for changing the world i mean the world of horror and the world of now pop culture because you got to think it's like we're not just talking about movies and walking dead we're talking about like how many fucking video games dude and like how many misfit songs were about romero yeah oh absolutely i'm glad you mentioned it because i was gonna say also we should talk about the misfits yes Uh, yeah like they 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 were obviously so inspired by this brutality and this like just Bleakness. hideous yeah it's just bleak and and uh, hideous humanity and i yeah it created one of the best punk bands of all time shit yeah so the 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 scope of his influence extends so far beyond zombie movies uh we have him to thank very much and i look forward to covering a lot of his other flicks i'd love to do creep show on our show Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Martin is amazing. Uh, yeah. I've never seen Martin, so I'd, we definitely got to do that one. Well, okay. Well, here's it, it stars Martin Lawrence. Okay. And, yeah, he's a radio disc jockey. Okay. He has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is her name is Gina. And sometimes he says, damn, Gina. <laughs> the social commentary there is really strong. Yeah. And somehow it's a vampire movie. What? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, but we have to do some of the other of the dead movies for sure. I, I actually would do any one of them. They're all great. Yeah, definitely um, so. And he he also you know he he did some uh, television, uh, as we mentioned. <laughs> I think in a month you'll hear us talk about on our Tales from the Dark Side episode. Huzzah! Spoilers: We cover Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I've really enjoyed getting to talk with you about this stuff, Steve. Uh, again, huge thanks to Romero for doing so much for the world, not just of horror, but just for the world in general. Well, next week on the show, we will be returning to our reg- regularly scheduled programming. We'll be uh, giving you guys our review of one of my absolute fucking favorites, Ty West's amazing House of the Devil, which is one of my favorite horror movies ever fucking love it so be sure to stay tuned next week for that by the way just some future man talk in that episode i say i uh meant to watch in a valley of darkness ty west's um dark comedy western with uh 
John Travolta and Ethan Hawke. Oh, Hawk. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have watched it since, and it's great. You should check it out. It's on Cinemax Go, if you have Cinemax Go. Um, it's it's really good. I really liked it. Uh, I can't wait to watch that, man. You, you had me at Travolta. Yeah, it's true. You do love you some Travolta. So stay tuned for our House of the Devil episode next week. In the meantime, Steve, where can they find us on the social media? Well, you can always find us at Dead Lovely Pod on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, Instagram, post on that a lot. Twitter, uh, once a week at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we also have a Facebook group where we post pretty regularly. And you can always email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. That's lovely. You guys can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Eller Guitars. Steve, where can they find you on those formats? At Steven Spratling. That's Steven with a V. Spratling spelled the way we all know how to spell it. Boom. Thank you guys so much for listening to our show. Be sure to go on iTunes, rate, and review this podcast. That would really help us out a ton, make us more visible and more findable in those search engines and stuff. So please go on iTunes rate and review this show even if it's just a one word thing use your church language as they won't post anything that has naughty talk in it so please keep it g rated well we will see you guys next week and uh thank you guys again so much for listening you guys have been fantastic we have been dead and lovely goodbye y'all bye bye